You would think that as we get closer to the holidays for a lot of people, Friday will be about it. Has anybody found a way not to take Monday off? Do you have to go in on Monday? Monday will be Christmas Eve. That'll be a quiet day. But you would think as we get closer to the actual break, things would kind of quiet down. There wouldn't be a lot of stuff going on. It's more about the hustle and the bustle and how do I finish this list? How do I cook all this food? How many people are coming again? Where are they going to sleep? That's what it would normally be about, right? Take a look at today. The New York Times maybe is responsible for the story that you heard Jacqueline LaBelle talking about just a couple of minutes ago with regard to Facebook and the lawsuit that has now been filed by the Attorney General for Washington, D.C. This is going to get messy. It really is. And this, again, goes back to a number of New York Times reports, and they've done a really good job on this. Earlier this week... We had a report out of the U.S. Senate that showed Russian troll farms were able to make use of Facebook. And what they were able to do is create ads and stories and things like that to try and discourage African-Americans from voting back in 2016. Well, why would they want to target African-Americans? Well, when you looked at the statistics, African-Americans had voted Democrat, largely. And they wanted to discourage that. So the old Russian troll farms made different stories, different articles, made them pop up in different places using information that was aggregated from Facebook users. And what do you know, as the New York Times pointed out, we had a lower turnout among African-American voters in 2016. Really? Now, it's hard to say... It was just because of what was happening using these Russian trolls, according to the U.S. Senate report. But you have to think that it it had an impact of some kind. I mean, this is messy, messy stuff. So the idea that Facebook didn't have things tied down, this is kind of, you've, you've got a boat and it's anchored on the shore, on the dock, but yeah, you haven't really learned your knots and you haven't really... You know, done away with all the little loopholes. And next thing you know, a big storm comes and your boat is gone. So what happens now? Well, this lawsuit is going to play itself out and we wait to see. And again, it points to Cambridge Analytica and the scandal that led Facebook to change its privacy protection. So there's a lot to watch for there, especially coming in the new year. And how much of a hit is Facebook taking? I don't know. I'm not a big Facebook user. If you find me on Facebook, you're not going to find many exciting things because I find it's adult show and tell. And it, it just bugs me. I didn't like show and tell as a kid, bring and brag. I didn't like it, and so I don't really like it now. I understand if you're looking to keep tabs on the grandkids and that sort of stuff, but the here's what I ate for dinner, I don't understand Instagram either. I don't get it. I had my 18-year-old daughter come home and say, she has done away with Instagram. And I thought, but you're 18. She said, yeah, but I was spending way too much time on it. It was kind of a waste of time, and what was I really looking at? What was I really learning? Nothing. So she got rid of it. I'm in. I guess I have to have it for work. But as far as, as you know, personal posts, maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution.
We've got to cut down on some of our social media use. Because now our, our phones typically will tell us, hey, you've used this much screen time this week. And when you look, you go, no, I didn't. That's just when my phone turns on, when someone sends me a note. Uh, actually, no. No, it isn't. That's how much you've been on it. Yeah. Got to cut down. We should look at that for New Year's resolutions. So that's coming up. Another story that's going to be interesting to follow, and this is heartbreaking. This is just absolutely crushing. This fire in London today that London police are treating as suspicious Really? Really? We're at this time of year and somebody is allegedly going to do something that would hurt others, maybe even leave them without a home? Really? How heartless are you? Maybe we could have an extra penalty tacked onto that person given the time of year it is. But that's a really tough story. But we'll have details on that story coming to you throughout the afternoon on 980 CFPL. Today on the show, we are going to be talking education with Annie Kidder for People for Education. And it'll be on the government announcement that has been made that shows that they're going to cut funding for things outside grants for student needs. What does that mean exactly? What's going on here? I think I have a solution for it. A little one anyway. And we'll see what happens. Uh, We're also going to talk with Dr. Catherine Manning. There was a study that began about five years ago. And it was making use of female rugby players at Western. And it was looking into concussion and whether or not they suffered concussions and what happened to their brains. Well, that study has concluded and they have their findings. So they took a look at 52 rugby players, watched them over a five-year period. Yes, concussions were suffered. There were 21 concussions in total. And there were changes to the brains of some of these athletes. What changes? What, what's happening? We're going to have that for you in about an hour from now. And we're also going to talk mini pops. Remember the mini pops? Kind of sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks, but they were little kids. And they would take actual songs and, and they would, I guess, re-sing them using tiny kids. And this went off. So we're, we're going to re-examine the mini pops in about 20 minutes from now. First up, though, want to talk about an announcement that came today. It was, it was kind of a, an opportunity to draw attention to middle-class families who are looking for affordable housing. And it was made in front of a project that's been going on for a little while right now at 356 Dundas in downtown. And that project is providing affordable housing options right downtown, near schools, near services, and it is targeting people who would fall into the category of modest and middle-income households. And joining us right now to begin our conversation about this is someone who deals not just with affordable housing projects and affordable housing discussions in London, but across the Canada, across Canada. Judy Binder, is with Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, where she is an affordable housing representative, an affordable housing specialist. And she joins us. Judy, how are you today? In the air in success, is it a cautiously optimistic announcement? Where would you put it? Any announcement that includes more options for low-income families to access housing is a eureka. Is there still a long way to go? Absolutely, yes, there is, Mike. 
until everyone has an affordable place that's appropriate that they can call home, our work isn't done. And and not just our work, but I mean collectively, as a federal government agency, as a province, as a municipality, as a housing development corporation, and all of the amazing partners that the city amasses to make these things happen, we we, we all don't rest uh, until we know that uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So let's kind of go into what this announcement provides and what this partnership provides. Sure, sure. So from Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, the Rental Construction Initiative actually provides approximately $5 million on this project to to give the developer uh, a little bit uh, of satisfaction knowing that they're going to have a a, a 10-year mortgage that the rate is going to be below market, and and that's a stable thing for them. And and for this developer in particular, it also means that that because they're saving on the cost on the on the financing cost, that can be passed along to the uh, the end user, which is the tenant. It, it also means that that because there's other partners at the table, being the City of London with incentives for this development. Uh, the Housing Development Corporation with the guidance and the networking and the connections to make things happen and their financial contribution, and with the London Community Foundation that's also reached out to this developer to, to say, we will help you too. All of these things mean connectivity, and, and it also means that, that not one organization can do it on their own, and, and that's what's so important about, about organizations and levels of government working together. Judy Binder joining us, affordable housing representative with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. So you mentioned that you have kind of a, a guarantee of what the cost is going to be for a unit. In terms of, of having that happen for families, how key is that? That's so key, especially in an environment that we're in right now, where we're globally job markets are changing and and some families some households have to work two and three jobs just to make enough money to afford rent so so the stability of that rent and the accessibility of that rent in a building like the one we're talking about on Dundas Street close to all locations close to all the amenities close to the job market so that they don't have to worry too much about that transportation piece uh, in in a location where they want and need to be it is so important. So all of those stabilities and access to the community it, it is important for everyone. Judy, when we look at what's happening in London, you get a chance to see other municipalities, other communities as well. How do, do things compare? What I like so much about London is the fact that we can all sit in a room and and work together to try to identify what the best solution is with the people that are doing it. So through the City of London and the Housing Development Corporation, they provide a roadmap and a navigation point so that it's not necessarily over the phone. It's behind four walls. It's a concrete conversation that, that ends up in next steps. So we all have meetings that amount to nothing. That doesn't 
happen in London. The meetings amount to something. There's strong intentions to get the job done, and there's an acknowledgement that everybody needs to be in the room to, 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 to work at it. And, and that's something that I find very, very strong in the city of London. How much of an issue is affordable housing in some other communities across this country? Do you find it absolutely everywhere? Absolutely everywhere. I don't know one community that, that I travel in that, that doesn't have affordability at, at the top of their agenda, just like they do health care and just like they do education. Uh, affordable housing uh, is, is, is the framework of stability in, in one's life. And, and, and yes, you need to have your health. And, and yes, you need to have employment. But you also need to have a place to come home at the end of the day to know that you're safe and to know that it's a private spot and to know that it's yours and that it's going to be there. And, and for some people that isn't possible, and, and I can't imagine what, what that feeling would be like not to know where I'm laying my head at the end of the day. Judy Bonder with us, affordable housing representative with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Judy, one final thing. Do we have a timeline on the construction at 356 Dundas at all? Well, if you were to drive by now, you'd see that six-story structure uh, with um, a, a, a few doors and windows that need to be completed. The inside work is is ongoing, so hopefully this spring it'll be occupied with 69 households. That, that are looking forward to moving in and looking forward to the stability that that building is going to provide to them. And is it an application process typically to allow them to move in? It is, and, and, and that application process is between the City of London uh, and the developer, uh, and that usually isn't occupying buildings in, in this kind of environment where the rental supply is so tight is not problematic at all, and and I'm sure there will be, be people that, that will be ready to move in before the doors open. Fantastic. Well, Judy, like you say, an announcement like this is one of those Eurekas, so thank you for providing us it that. Is, Mike. Thank really you. appreciate thank your time. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Bye. You too. Judy Binder. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation Specialist in Affordable Housing. So kind of comparing London to other places across the country, Judy says this is a great spot because you close the door, you sit down, and you get something done. As she pointed out, there are meetings where you don't always get something done. Here, you do. Coming up next, we'll check in with London North Centre MP Peter Fragiscatos about this particular announcement and where other announcements like it could be headed as we talk affordable housing on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've kicked off the show talking about affordable housing because there was an announcement made today, basically in front of a project that has been continuing for a while at 356 Dundas in the downtown And it looks at how things are going to work money-wise for this particular location that will be targeted toward people who would fall into a category of of median household income of – or would target people who are in, let's say, middle class 
or just below middle class. And so we have an opportunity now to talk with London North Centre MP Peter Fragiscatos about the national housing strategy and, and how things have been working and what they're looking to do. Mr. Fragiscatos, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. When we look at, at the national housing strategy and how it's developing, can you kind of bring us up to speed as to where, where it began in your eyes and where it sits now? Well, this is something that is really fundamental to the government's agenda, Mike, making sure that housing as a priority speaks to our government's intent to, uh, to really put into place policies that realize dignity for people. And that's what today was about. So I heard you at the outset there talk about 356 Dundas. Indeed, I'm really proud of this announcement. That's something that uh, a lot of folks worked on, uh, certainly myself as a, as a local member of parliament uh, and our government stands behind uh, projects like this, but I also commend officials in the City of London and their administration. Uh, working on housing, It's it's been great to work with them because we see eye-to-eye on this issue when it comes to, uh, to housing in London and also partners like the Canadian Mental Health Association involved in making sure that a uh, set number of units, in fact, 10 units, go to folks in need. And so this is a community initiative, in fact. When you look at things you see eye to eye on, what would some of those things be? Well, we have to make sure that affordability is top of mind. Uh, We have a housing need in London. And so uh, demand, as you know, is outstripping supply. 1.8% is the figure when it comes to uh, the rental rental market vacancy rate, excuse me. That means, simply put, when we have less supply, we have a more expensive level of rent. Now, London, comparatively speaking, uh, is more affordable certainly than Toronto, is more affordable than Kitchener-Waterloo, is more affordable than a number of markets. But we have seen uh, rising costs here when it comes to, to rental properties. And so that's where the Rental Construction Financing Initiative comes in. And I'm glad to chat with you about it here this afternoon because it is a key piece to our overall national housing strategy, a $40 billion strategy being put into place over the next decade that will see real progress on the housing file. We are talking with London North Centre MP Peter Fragiscatos. Mr. Fragiscatos, a lot of times we will see money earmarked for things, but the problem maybe doesn't get addressed. How do you use the money and address the problem at the same time? Well, first of all, Mike, you can call me Peter. I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> you can call me Mr. That's, that's okay too, but I always appreciate folks to, to call me, uh, to call me Peter. Now to your question, uh, we are, uh, we're making sure that when it comes to needs, we're listening to local communities. So we see needs in this community and we also see developers that want to build. The thing is though, that building affordable housing units is expensive. And the construction financing initiative that I'm talking about here takes into account the fact that rental properties are important in people's lives. We have to make sure that they're available at an affordable rate, but also provides an incentive for developers by uh, making uh, sure that they have access to very low-cost loans. So in this case, uh, in the case of 356 Dundas, we've provided an investment to the tune of $4.9 million dollars. Uh, to uh, the developer involved at a very low rate of interest cost, uh, around 2%. Uh, So you can imagine how that would, in fact, act as an uh, incentive to build. 
And the result is what? The result is that we're going to have a, a unit uh, in our downtown, uh, not separate, not ghettoizing people, but actually integrating them in the community. If you know the area around 356 Dundas, Mike, you'll know that Beale is just Beale High School is just down the street, as is Catholic Central. There's transit uh, stops very close by. In fact, that's one of the requirements of this program that people be uh, that housing units, excuse me, be uh, constructed near key amenities. And that is something that we heard from communities across the country that we can't just put housing units in separate areas apart. We have to integrate them into the community because otherwise you end up really creating a perception of those who are experiencing some affordability issues. And we need to get away from stereotypes and treat people with dignity. Peter, thank you so much for the time today. Absolutely. All the best to you. That is Peter Fragiscanos, London North Centre MP, as we look at the move forward in the national housing strategy, how it's being impacted here in this city, and kind of what comes next. And that will be the opening of the doors at 356 Dundas and placement incentive. Again, there are more components to the issue. It's, it's trying to find a way for people not to be in those vulnerable positions and not to be in places where they are seeking affordable housing. That's a whole other thing. But at the same time, in trying to make sure that everybody has a place to live, that's where the national housing strategy comes from. And this is the latest for our London area. We are going to take a break. Up next, remember KTEL Records? Remember late at night? The first record I ever bought was off KTEL off TV. I don't even remember how I got it. How did, how did we get the money? I think I actually had to get a money order from the bank and mail that. It was for an album called Double Gold, and it got me Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. That's all I wanted. Ended up being two albums. It actually had some pretty good songs on it. Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. That's still a good tune. It had Toto uh, and Africa. That's a great tune. Weezer just did a remake of that. We're going to talk with the daughter of the founder of KTEL Records, and talk about mini pops and more. Mini pops is actually coming to London. We'll have details on that. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. When you hear KTEL Records, what do you think? What comes to mind? Late night, right? Watching on TV, and all of a sudden, they would have a compilation, and you would be able to buy it. And I'm, I'm still trying to think. You couldn't use a credit card over the phone in those days, right? It was a money order. First ever album I ever bought. I lived way out in the country, like far, like Highway 34, and then RR6, Dirt roads, they were there. So going to a record store, that just didn't happen. You just didn't do it. So KTEL was perfect. Well, KTEL has been responsible for so many different things, but we're going to be able to talk with the daughter of the man who created KTEL Records. And let me see if you remember this. Vegematic, huh? Created that. How about the Miracle Brush? How about the Feather Touch Knife? And... Samantha Kives is also involved in bringing the Mini Pops to London. Bet you didn't know the Mini Pops were still around. Well, we can prove that they're still around. Have a listen to this. The Mini Pops going strong. 
Okay, we'll have to prove that later. Give me a second. Samantha Kives joins us now to chat. Mini Pops and more. Mini Pops will be in London if we look at uh, their schedule. They'll be here on January the 19th at Centennial Hall. Samantha, thanks so much for being here. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, the first album I ever bought was a K-Town album. It was called Double Gold, so I got to thank your dad for that. Oh, my goodness. That 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 warms my heart. It, I bought it for Eye of the Tiger. I got so many other songs. I had no idea. It was I think, I think it's still in my parents' record collection somewhere, <laughs> should they still have that. I should get that. I that should. is fantastic. Well, Samantha, even before we get to Mini Pops, what was it like? growing up with your dad because he sounded like one of the greatest entrepreneurs anywhere. Yeah, you know what? I mean, that was my only reality. So I thought it was normal as a kid that you would write commercials at the kitchen table and that your dad would bring in film crews and shoot commercials in your kitchen or in your backyard. So for me, that's just sort of the way I grew up. Now, that that was kind of people would walk through your house shooting a commercial people would that would be happening just around you yes like they would come they would shoot a commercial in our kitchen sometimes or for one of the products the consumer product clearly not the the music elements but um <laughs> but yeah like it was just sort of how we grew up that is amazing so the Vegematic, would you just kind of, that would be there? You would, that would just be part of making food in your house? Yeah, like, you know, we would just, I mean, the products work. That was the crazy thing about it. Um, so we would have those, we would have the pots and pans, um, the exercise equipment. Uh, my mother had, you know, and of course, I have mini pop records as a kid because they were my favorite. I used, I still remember my favorite songs when I was a little kid growing up with the mini pop. Now, were you ever a mini pop yourself? No, I was not a mini pop myself. It was my dream. I'm still trying to figure out how I can be a mini pop <laughs> one day. But, you know, this is the next best thing. Do you remember when the mini pops kind of began or, or how yeah. they began? Oh, I absolutely remember the mini pops when they began. I remember my records. I remember doing air bands and singing songs with my friends to them. Um, and I remember when they came to Canada when I was about seven years old and they did a tour of Canada. Because um, they were out of the UK at the time, so to see kids today still listening to the Mini Pop Kids and singing along to them is just like a total flashback to my childhood. So we have a Mini Pop show coming to London Centennial Hall, January nineteenth. We're talking right now with Samantha Kives, whose father Philip Kives basically created KTEL and created a whole bunch of other products, but KTEL ultimately spawned the mini pops in Canada. When you go kind of back to the beginning, has it been a steady stream of mini pops up until now, or have there been breaks in the action? No, so the mini pops were huge back in the 80s. They had another a number one single in France at one point. I think it was the third best-selling record of the year. Um, and so, I mean, that was back in the 80s, and then we sort of took a pause, and then we brought the Mini Pops back as the Mini Pop Kids in 2004, just because, you know, we saw, uh, first of all, we I remembered it as a kid, and we saw the need for it in the marketplace, because songs were getting more sexual and more violent, and parents just wanted their kids to be able to listen to songs with ease, so we brought them back in 2004, and we've been going strong ever since. What's the reaction been like? 
oh my God, it's fantastic. So last year, um, we had 19 sold out shows and this year we're touring the country again and we're going to, we have already 36 shows on the books in Canada and things are selling out. Our show sold out last year in London and it looks like it will sell out again this year. So people love it. Like it's just really fun to watch the kids in the audience sing along and dance along to their favorite songs and Every little kid has their favorite mini pops, so it's really great when they get to see them and meet them in person. Now, they are kind of bred from songs that are maybe in the top 40. How do you choose what songs are going to be used? You know, that's a good question. Um, and it's just sort of like we listen, we ask our kids what they're listening to. I have three children of my own. I hear what they're listening to. and We just try to pick the catchiest songs that kids can sing along to. And if the lyrics aren't appropriate for kids, like we have a couple Cardi B songs in there, we clean the lyrics up. <laughs> so you'll be able to hear I like it, but a very clean version in our show. And what age of kids do you find you're targeting with today's mini pops? Oh my gosh, it's such a broad spectrum. Like my three-year-old loves it, and so does my 10-year-old. So it's really, you know, it's sort of a broad gamut, which is why we really like the shows because sometimes, you know, you know, I've been to other children's shows and they're all wonderful, but they're either geared really young and our sort of gears also to the tween market as well. Now, in terms of how many mini pops performers and singers you have to have at any given time, how many are you traveling with for all of these shows? Well, for our London show, we're going to have all eight of our mini pops there on stage. And how do you go about finding them? Oh my gosh, it's such a crazy process. There's so many talented kids in this world. It's so hard to choose. Um, but we had about 650 kids audition and we narrowed it down to eight kids. And every kid brings just something special and unique to the group. Um, and, you know, and, and it's like about a two month process that we, we work on to choose these kids. And in the auditions, are we talking it's a strictly Canadian thing still or do you look outside Canada? Right now, the Mini Pop Kids is 100% Canadian. So all the talent that you guys are going to see in London will all be Canadian kids. Well, we've had Severia in the past, who I think got her start with I, she, the mini pops. Yes. I got Severia. She is a London girl. She was our. She was, I think, on five mini pop kids out al- five mini pop kids albums, and she came out last year to our show and sang a little song for the London market. So. We're going to invite her back to sing another song as well, if she'd like to come. Once a mini pop, always a mini pop? Yeah, she's so super talented. She was, you know, I I have such fond memories of her and her mom when they used to fly out to Winnipeg for the albums. We're talking with Samantha Kyes. We're talking mini pops. Their mini pop show is coming to Centennial Hall on January 19th. And Samantha's father, Philip Kyes, was the founder of KTEL Records. Do we still put mini pops albums out on records or is that a little beyond the target demo well we still you can still get the we still put out cds it's actually number three on amazon right now um and so we we don't have vinyls yet but that's something we're looking into really because vinyls it's still there isn't it oh my god it's phenomenal you know i'd love to release some of our old ktel albums on vinyl as well oh that's a good idea maybe i could get double gold again yes Double gold or super bad or something along those lines. Oh, I would be all over that. That would be fantastic. Well, Samantha, we really appreciate your time and everything that uh, you are doing to turn kids into superstars. Do the mini pops get recognized on the street? Do they have to be careful? They need security? Um, I think we're okay for now, 
But thank you so much for having us. We're, we're so excited to come back to London. All the best. Thank you. That is Samantha Kives. She is with Mini Pops, as she said, wasn't a mini pop as a kid and is still trying to find a way to be one. They'll be in London. But, yeah, her dad came up with the feather touch knife, the Vegematic, the miracle brush. I mean, this was ShamWow before ShamWow. And then KTEL Records. Look up, I'm going to look up Double Gold. You may want to buy this. We have to put this out on on uh, vinyl again for sure i've got to find that somewhere now i'm missing it can i get a cd copy of that toto by africa was good stuff what was your favorite album or your or i guess not even your favorite album that wouldn't be my favorite album i suppose what was your first album because i'm pretty sure it took a money order to buy this what was your first we've got a couple minutes uh 519-643-2222 you can email mike at 980cfpl.ca you can tweet me at stubs 980 what album did you buy first and what lengths did you have to go to in order to get it 519-643-2222 music's so easy now oh let me just add that to my playlist just a second just oh there we go whoo wow that was I'm sweating. Think of what we had to do. There were certain albums that came out that you had to line up in the middle of the night. Some people pitched tents just to try and get albums. Usually if you brought a tent along and you thought there would be a big long line. I mean, this was no Apple iPhone. This was, hey, here you go. Uh, You're first in line. Congratulations. There are 10 of you here. You'll all get albums. But how long and and how tough was it to go out and get your first album? What did you have to go through? And what was it? Think back. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at stubs980. This is Global News Radio 980-CFPL. First album you ever bought and the lengths you had to go to to get it. Dan says, my first album was actually a cassette. It was the Ghostbusters soundtrack. I was six. (laughs) That's amazing. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, Kathy. Kathy says, first album I ever bought was a Beach Boys album. I really don't remember what the name of it was, but it had Surf City on it. Fantastic. That's it. You buy an album for one song. And if you talk to artists now, they still make albums. It's still an experience. We've kind of lost that. Oh, I really like that song. Boop. I've added it to my playlist. 519-643-2222. First album you ever bought and the lengths that you had to go to in order to get it. Ron, what do you have for us? Hey, Mike. Merry Christmas, man. Merry Christmas. It's been a while. But anyway, um... I I didn't go out of my way to get it because I was like six or seven years old. My first album was given to me, Sean Cassidy's Greatest Hits. <laughs> this is Partridge Family stuff. Which, which, by the way, since then, I've actually acquired off of eBay on CD. <laughs> How's that for you? But you know what? I bet when you play it, it brings back some it, pretty amazing memories. It does, yeah. And actually, you know what? A lot of the KTEL stuff, they're back out on CD. I've got three or four in my collection now. I've got Music Express. I've got Fantastic Two. I've got KTEL Halloween, and I've got a Wolfman Jack album. That's fantastic. So, yeah. 
collector's items. And then you know I can do a Wolfman Jack imitation. I definitely do. Yeah. It's open if you want to do it now or if you want to do it later, that's fine. I, I can do it now. Okay, do it now. My, my, this is the Wolfman. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year to AM980 CFPL calling you from the graves. Next week we'll do the top 40 with Ryan Seacrest. We might even break out Casey Kasem and the... And going way back, way back, way back. Dick Clark Babies on ABC. Can you dig it? Ron, you are the greatest. Merry Christmas. <laughs> See you later, Mike. Take care. 519-643-2222. First album you ever owned and the lengths you had to go to to get it. Tom, what do you have for us? Uh, I had uh, Beatlemania, which uh, uh, later, like not too long afterwards, became Meet the Beatles. Okay. So it was one of their first first albums, and uh, I also had the uh, the stop sign shaped uh, Stones album. My parents gave me that for Christmas. Now that is a collector's item. Do you still have that? Uh, I think it's in their uh, collection, which I've got. So I'll have to go through that. Yeah, worth doing. Do you still have a record player? Yep. Yeah. And do you, yeah. do you still, because here's the thing that I want to see. They always say that if you have a record player, you're going to get the truest sound of the music because we've got everything that's compressed now, and every time you compress something, you know, you take it down to a wave file, you lose a little bit of it. You take it down to an MP3, you lose a little more of it. That's very true. I, I haven't used the record player for quite some time, but uh, I've got a uh, connector to... Uh, for it for my uh, computer, so I'm going to have to listen to some of them. Can't wait to find out how it goes. Tom, thanks for the call. Okay, talk to you later, Mike. Merry, Christ- Merry Christmas. 519-643-2222. Time for one more call. John, that is you. What do you have for us? Well, you may not have probably heard of her, Annette Funicello. Oh, yeah, from Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Yeah. Yeah, Lonely Guitar and JoJo the Dog Face Boy. <laughs> John, thank well, that's, you. That's going back. That is. And uh, the second album I got was um, George Formby. I don't know that one. Yeah, you know, he was a British uh, singer uh, leaning on the lamppost and uh, my friend the Sergeant Major. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look that one up. John, thanks well, so much. I, Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, one more, and this one comes from Eric. Eric says, first album I ever remember owning was actually a little 45. Got it when I was six years old. Another Everybody gets their first album at six. Uh, 1978, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Thank you for the stories. Keep those coming. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Your first album, the lengths you had to go to to get it. Coming up after 2 o'clock, we've got a lot of different things, including a study on concussions that has just come in that may have you thinking twice about if you get knocked in the head. And we'll also talk education with Annie Kidder. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Man, there's a story that just popped up at 980cfpl.ca you've got to look at. Amnesty International releasing a troll patrol report. And here's what it says. On average, Amnesty has found a problematic or abusive tweet is sent to a woman on Twitter every 30 seconds. Very interesting read.
You can find it at 980cfpl.ca or at globalnews.ca. We'll talk about some cuts to education and what it could mean, and I wonder if I've got a solution for this. The cuts have already been announced. We are also going to talk about a study on concussions in female rugby players that has produced some really interesting results that stretch well beyond female rugby players. First, news with Jacqueline LaBelle. That's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This hour, we're going to look at results of a concussion study that began five years ago. See, I always find we talk about when studies start, and we don't necessarily get the end of them. And we've been able to get to the end of this one. And it has a really big London connection. 52 female rugby players from Western said, sure, I'll be involved in this. And what they did was they... They tracked them for a period of five years, and they looked at how many of them had concussions. There were 21 concussions total, not 21 people with concussions, but 21 concussions total. And they examined their brains, and some of the findings, I'm going to be completely honest, they don't sound great. We're talking about changes to the brain, so we're going to find out what that means with Dr. Catherine Manning this hour on London Live. Because if you've got a concussion that is changing someone's brain, you've got a problem in my mind. So what do we do with this? What do you do with the information? And we'll talk with Dr. Manning about just participation in sports, because this shouldn't deter you, but it should make you very cognizant of the signs. So that's coming up. We are also going to talk with Captain Susan Greystone, and she is with the 862 Lambeth Lightning Air Cadet Squadron. And we're not going to talk about flying in planes. We are going to talk about wrapping presents. They actually have a volunteer present wrapping. If you're not very good, like me, have you ever received a present from me? You'll know it because the wrapping is, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. I don't get how to cut out the paper for wrapping. How do you develop that skill? Because I'm always just a little bit shy. And then I have to cut out just a little tiny piece of paper. And then you get the whole scotch tape all the way. I use more scotch tape. Is it biodegradable? I'm hoping. But I use more to try and hide what is in that package than I probably should. That's why it's good when you can go somewhere, like to a mall. You bring your gifts. And you get some experts to wrap them for you. And who is more disciplined than an air cadet squadron? So we'll find out more about that a little later on, too. Elon Musk is saying that that tunnel is uh, just about set to go, the one in L.A., and he's got some designs on others, alleviating traffic problems. He wants to fly us to the moon and get us to places in big cities, not using the regular old transportation methods. See, maybe that's what we need. As they get together and talk BRT in London, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need to look at tunneling, right? Wrong, right? Yeah, we talked about tunneling. We were going to tunnel for BRT and then look at the issues we ran into along Richmond. We didn't even start tunneling. I can't even imagine what would happen if we did. But we're not built on completely solid ground here. So... Maybe it doesn't work here, but we'll get some details on how things are working out in L.A. and what the plan is. But 
first up this hour, we want to talk about an announcement from a couple of days ago coming from the Ontario government and looking at cutbacks. The Ontario government is looking to cut. Why? Well, we got a major deficit, so they're going to have to do it somehow. And we have seen them kind of make offers to public servants. I don't know how many are going to jump at that. We have seen ideas about, you know, smallish cutbacks. This would probably fall into that category, but it affects students. It affects education. And let's face it, the government is limited as to what it can cut. It has to look at things it controls. So in education, sure, that's on the list. And we find some kind of unnerving stuff when we look at this, because we're talking about $25 million coming out of the budget, which would come from the education program's other fund. Well, what exactly is other? Right now, according to Global News, we have $400 million for the 2018-2019 fiscal year, and schools get money for things like tutors, things like leadership programming. And we've got 72 school boards in the province, and apparently it will affect them differently. But we wanted to get some solid opinion on what this means. So joining us from People for Education is Annie Kidder. Annie, thanks so much for taking some time out for us today. No problem. When you look at the word cut and education, obviously that's that's never a great thing. When you look at this, what do you feel the impact is going to be? Well, sadly, it's kind of hard to know right now. There are not a lot of details in this, um, and some of it is funding that boards were expecting, and now they're now they're not going to get it. So it's for programs that they'd already you know put in their budget. They were already working on. It's it's hard to know whether or not in some boards they're going to be able to kind of move money around to continue the programs. Um, or whether boards are going to cut it. And I, so I think they, the first thing about this is that it's uh, difficult. It's kind of if anybody who runs anything knows suddenly finding out halfway through your year that you don't have money you thought you were going to have is problematic. Yeah. I run I... a charity. That would be really hard on me, anybody in a business, anybody with a household. Um, so there's that problem that it's a little bit difficult to to plan ahead if these kind of things happen midstream. And I think there, there weren't a lot of details in what boards were told um, in terms of what was going to happen next because there are a lot of other programs in this big bucket called, hilariously, education programs other, um, that boards haven't heard about yet that they were expecting money for. So it's a little bit of that. The chaos is the sort of first part of the concern. So when we hear the description other, you always think, well, that's some kind of slush fund. That's just, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. That may- So it doesn't sound like that's necessarily what this was if we've got programs being initiated from it. Well, that, I mean, and I think you, you've, you've hit the exact nail on the exact head here, is what is, what's core and what's not? And even in there, there have been consultations happening on education funding, and that is the question that the province asked. Uh, what should we be doing with the sort of non-core things in education? And, and we, we think it's very important that we talk about 
um, that division between, you know, long gone are the days when kids just went to school and learned the three R's, you know, the so-called basics from before, and they were fine and could succeed in the world. I think, you know, there's widespread agreement now that you've got to learn a lot more than the three R's, and that wherever we support it through education or through other ministries, we do have to make sure that we are um, helping kids stay mentally and physically healthy, that we're thinking about the jobs that they're going to be in and that they need sometimes some experience with that kind of work. We need to think about um, how we're making sure that the education that one of the things that um, where the funding was discontinued uh, was a program called Innovation in Learning, and that was to support school boards to begin to build in um, a, the kind of what are called 21st century skills or transferable skills, or they're called a lot of things, global competencies. But they're they're the skills that all the employers are talking about that they need now. You know, more than again the the, the old basics. They need all that collaboration and creativity. So is that, an, is that outside of education? There's funding was cut for regional equity networks, for going out. You know, there was, has been a program where school board staff actually go out and find kids who've dropped out of school. They, they phone them. They kind of, you know, pursue them relentlessly. And it's been an incredibly successful program, and it gets them back in school. So those are the kinds of things where the funding has been reduced or it seems eliminated tutors in classrooms, after-school programs, uh, programs that help kids who might not think of themselves as the kind of kids who would go on to post-secondary education that, that again, targets those kids and goes, you actually can go on, and what do you need to sort of get you uh, up to speed or get you the credits that you need? Those are the kinds of things that are that are in this education programs other indigenous education and working with indigenous communities there's a lot of things in it and they're not really they're not they're not not educational and they're it's not a slush fund it is kind of weird that it's set up that way so maybe it all needs cleaning up but i think before we go in and sort of target and cut programs you want to make sure you've got a a kind of overall strategy. How are we going to support these things? What ministries should be paying for them? How do we work in a more integrated way? It's possible it could be being done more efficiently, but cutting them first before we got that overall plan is a little worrying. Yeah, what a great point. Annie Kidder joining us, People for Education. As we look at some of the government cuts that, again, haven't necessarily been announced, you even had education officials saying they were finding out things from news reports and trying to piece all of this together. But, Annie, we live in a global world, and if we're looking at some countries that are developing people one way, this almost sounds similar to the sex education curriculum where we're just turning back the time, saying... Ah, remember those days of reading, writing, and arithmetic, those three R's? Let, let's just teach that. Meanwhile, you've got other countries going, well, no, we've switched up one of those R's for robotics, and now we make sure right. and have those programs. <laughs> is, is that kind of a concern here, do you think? Well, it's a concern. I mean, I guess, again, it's a concern that um, you need to start with uh, a kind of overall vision, overall strategy, and we do need to make sure in it is you know, in a minute, it's going to be 2019, um, that we are keeping up in our education system in Ontario with a world that's changing rapidly. You know, there's been a big report from the Royal Bank 
um, saying that, um, you know, there's a kind of skills revolution and it is important that kindergarten to grade 12 systems keep up with that. And again, I mean, of course it's important that kids can read and write and do math, but it's it's vital. I mean, we've been calling them the new basics, which are all those, you know, creative skills and entrepreneurship and, you know, being able to solve complex problems. I mean, if you look at the world right now, which is tiny bit messy, um, <laughs> we really need to educate our kids really, really well. And again, for for us, there's a kind of false core, non-core division being made. And you're right, in the rest of the world, um, you know, and they they are moving forward, and we do need to make sure that we're, you know, it's not just about competing, but that is part of it too. That we can participate in the the global economy. We need a strategy. We didn't get a strategy. Do you have any optimism that there will be a strategy that kind of steps back and looks at this instead of just coming in and and dealing with oh well we need to need to save money, save money, save money. Well, I hope so. I mean, we still haven't heard about the results from the consultation. So we've just had consultations on funding and on curriculum, on what kind of skills should there be, we be focusing on in school. So um, presumably, um, come the new year, we will hear about uh, an overall strategy um, that really looks at how are we ensuring that we're preparing kids, again, for the, the complex world that they're going to live in so that they can take care of their health, so they can get jobs, so they can participate as citizens, so they can be, you know, active members of a democracy, um, and, 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 and make sure that, you know, and, and think about, like, what kind of people we need as a, as a community or as a province or as a country and that we're educating those people in our schools. And, again, you can't... We, we, funding is really important. Efficiency is important. It's important that we're not wasting money. But we have to first start with what are we trying to do and then figure out how to, how to pay for it. And I, it is possible that education it's by itself shouldn't be doing all those things. But we can't just take them out of education and, uh, without making sure that some of these programs, which, which are really important, have been shown to be really successful – uh, we need to make sure that then they're they're being supported somewhere else, maybe not in education, maybe by a different ministry or a different level of government. We, but we may we yeah, again, it's important to have the big picture plan first. The last time we talked, Annie, and kind of as a final point, we were talking about issues that schools had, not so much for programs, but for schools that were dealing with a leaky roof, and you had kids with buckets on their desk because water was dripping into it. There were little repair jobs that weren't able to be done. What do you make of this announcement when that was a recent conversation? Well, I think that that's where, and that's why it's hard, where it's hard to know what's going to actually happen from um, these funding reductions, is that, you know, boards spend a lot of their time kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. So it's like maybe we can leave the leaky roof or just patch it up for now as opposed to putting on a whole new roof. Um, and maybe we really want to have our program where we're paying you know, university and college students to go be mentors for kids in grade two. So we're going to keep that program, but we're not going to, um, you know, put in new energy efficient windows or something. So, but the problem with that is all that infrastructure stuff, which is kind of not so sexy, that's where we end up, you know, everybody who ever has a house knows 
that you can you can save money by not doing the repairs as you go along, but you can end up with a really big bill instead. So it's all about you know balance and and weighing those things. But again, what we haven't seen yet is an overall plan. You know, this is how the fun, funding's going to work. Funding for edu- it it is time to review the funding for education in Ontario. It's been a very long time since there's been a comprehensive review, but it needs to start, again, with what are we trying to do here, what do we need to make sure that we're accomplishing, and then how are we going to pay for it. Well, Annie, we really appreciate your thoughts on this and the work that you do. Please keep it up. Okay, thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. It's Annie Kidder, People for Education. Always has the pulse of what is happening in education, and here it's difficult to take that pulse. It's like taking the pulse of someone who's swinging their arm around and around and around. Wait, a, sir, sir, can I please have your arm for a second so I can take your your pulse? Just if you could stop moving for a second. And you never like those things. You never like when somebody's not necessarily allowing you to get all of the details. And that's what we have here. That you know, and and you can completely understand it. The Ford government inherited a big pile of red ink, and it did. And what they're going to do is look at mitigating that. They're going to look at turning things around. But I think Annie made a great point in saying you do have to have that overall strategy. You can't just come in and say, oh, okay, well, we got to do something quick. So, uh, yeah, uh, here are some incentives if you're in the public service for you to get out. Uh, you'll have them, and you have until this date in the new year to say yes or no. Okay, uh, hopefully a lot of people take those. Uh, Health care, this is what we're going to do here just quickly. Uh, education, yeah, okay. Uh, there's this other fund. Anybody know what this is for? No. Anyone? This, what, what even is this? It says other. Ah, let's get rid of that. You know, that's what it feels like. That's not how you want to feel. You want to have somebody, what's a good leader do? A leader, and I'm not knocking the Ford government on this, but this is what you want to have happen, and this is why Annie made such a great point. You want to have somebody who says, hey, I have what it's going to take to fix this, and here's how it's going to play out. It's like doing construction. Right now, what are we doing in London? We are putting up with an awful lot of construction. Why? Why are we doing that? You don't hear too many people squawking over it. We don't get calls here at 980 CFPL every day saying, oh, it's construction. We can't get around. We don't hear that. Why? Well, because we have an end goal. And we know that here are the plans. The city's been great in allowing us to know what those plans are. Here's what's going to happen. Oh, okay. So if I put up with some kind of short-term pain, right now I can't get through on York, and Richmond was a little messy for a while, and Dundas, don't even talk to me about Dundas, right around, you know, Talbot. But that's okay, because we know what the end goal is. And here, there isn't the communication that there needs to be. And maybe this is a great plan, but if somebody would take the time to draw it up and then say, ta-da! I think we'd have a lot of happier people. Right now, we don't have that. We'll tell you what's still to come on London Live as we continue in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You know what I absolutely cannot believe? That it is heading into 2019... And we're still hearing details about U.S. President Donald Trump and his wall. I can't believe this is still a thing. 
And now, well, it looks like he may accept an agreement, a deal of some kind. Otherwise, he's going to get some government shutdown. So he's backing off there. Uh, But now uh, he's not talking a concrete wall, maybe some artistically designed steel slats so that you can see through the wall. Really? Uh, He's tweeted, it will be beautiful. And at the same time, give our country the security that our citizens deserve. It will go up fast and save us billions of dollars a month once completed. What does that even mean? I mean, that tweet doesn't even sound rational. But he's we're still talking about the wall. I had no idea this would be continuing. I thought that would be the first thing to go. If we took a poll, hey, of all the things Donald Trump's been talking about as he became president of the United States, I mean, we're talking two years now. It's still there, and now they're still talking about what it's going to look like. Get off it already. Okay, we're going to talk with Dr. Catherine Manning, and we're going to talk about something that we cannot leave, that we cannot hope goes away, because it's more information on concussions. And this information actually comes courtesy of 52 female rugby players who play and played at Western University. And some of the results are unnerving. They really are. I mean, we're talking changes to the brain. And we'll get to those details in just a moment. And we'll talk about what the 862 Lambeth Lightning Air Cadet Squadron is up to before the end of the show. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We will find out after 3 o'clock a little bit more from John Wilson on the odds of a white Christmas. He's talked about flurries here and there. There's a lot of talk that this mild weather is going to continue right into Saturday. So 6 tomorrow, 4 Friday, somewhere around there. A little bit of rain instead of snow. It'll green up the grass. Do reindeer love grass? Do they? I'm thinking thinking I don't know because if they're running through kind of the Arctic and the tundra, there's not a lot of green grass there. They might prefer the brown grass. I'm not sure. We'll attract all the reindeer here for everybody who's hoping the reindeer will arrive. Don't you worry. We'll get that set up. We are going to talk about a gift wrapping initiative before the end of the show today, but I want to look into concussions. There is so much work being done these days concerning concussions, and it's it's been absolutely mind-blowing what we've learned over what? How long do we do we say that concussions have been really an issue for? Do we say 15 years? Every year that goes by, and the See the Line conference that happens at Western every year is key to this. Every year that goes by, we learn more and more, and we still don't know enough. If you talk to somebody who has suffered a concussion that has been debilitating enough for them to miss work, it's or school, it's, it's just it's so difficult to deal with. Because they don't know when they're going to feel right again. You know, you break your arm and they'll set it and they'll put you in a cast and they'll say, yeah, you know what, that's going to be about four to six weeks. 
Uh, if you're young, four. If you're a little older, six. And you have an end game. If all of a sudden you tear a knee ligament, they'll say, yeah, that's going to be about six months. And you're going to need to do some physio. With your brain, we don't have that. And maybe it's because we know a lot more about broken bones. Maybe it's because we know a lot more about how long it takes a tendon to heal. And maybe it's because it's difficult to track what's even happened to the brain. Because it used to be, wham, oh, you got your bell rung. How many fingers am I holding up? And that was it. And now it's a whole lot different. It's a whole different story. Because we are getting information and we do look at kind of the real concerns that exist when you suffer a concussion and the real risks that exist if you continue to play. And we have seen people lose their lives. Look up Rowan's Law. That's a female athlete named Rowan who didn't really recognize the signs and symptoms of a concussion. And she kept playing. And because of that, she lost her life. And you don't want to see that happen because you look at what sports can do for you, being a part of a team, you look at what that does for you. It's pretty incredible and it's pretty important in the growth of people. You want them to be involved, but you also want them to be safe. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we are going to speak with Dr. Catherine Manning. And Dr. Manning is the lead author of a study on concussions in female rugby players. And essentially what they did was they got 52 volunteers from the Western women's varsity rugby team, and they followed them for five years. And there were 21 concussions total, not 21 people suffering a concussion, but 21 total concussions. And what they would do is they would use... MRIs to study the brains of these individuals to see what was happening with them. And it's interesting to note what changes they found in the brain, what that may mean, and even some issues with people who did not suffer concussions. And those details are coming next. It is a a fascinating and at the same time unnerving story that makes you hope that one day we can look at a concussion Maybe put a helmet on somebody that takes a reading and then say, okay, this person needs to sit down for four weeks. This person needs to basically be in a mental cast for the next four to six weeks. Here's hoping we can come up with something like that. We don't have it now. I'm not saying we ever will. But this study goes a long way to demonstrating some things that at least give us a better understanding of what happens when you do suffer a concussion. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The results are out from a study that has been done, and it involved athletes from Western, 52 female rugby players on the varsity team. And this is a study that deals with concussions, and we're lucky enough to have the lead author of the study with us right now, Dr. Catherine Manning. Dr. Manning, first off, congratulations on finishing the study. Thank you very much. It's exciting to finally see this come through. (laughs) When we talk about studies taking a long time, uh, when did you kind of get this one going, I guess, even in the, hey, I've got an idea phase? (laughs) So uh, uh, a huge team is behind this work, and they uh, came up with this idea, I'd say, about five years ago. 
Um, so we wanted to try and look at these players over a long period of time to see how the brain is changing after concussion. Wow. Okay. So you were able to enlist, is that a good word, 52 female yeah. athletes? Yeah, so they uh, volunteered and enrolled in our study, uh, and then we monitored them throughout the season and looked in detail at players that did experience the concussion. Okay, of those 52 female athletes, how many actually would have experienced a concussion? Uh, So we have data on 21 concussions. Now, some of those actually include athletes that had multiple concussions. Okay, so so that goes for a five-year period, and if you look at, at kind of the data that jumps out to you based on those results, what are you finding? So we used a really interesting approach that kind of combines all of the imaging data that we gathered together, and briefly we found some changes in the brain that seemed to recover very quickly. And these girls uh, didn't have any long, persistent symptoms. Um, So that was reassuring to us. But we did also see uh, changes in the brain that persisted six months after the injury. And these changes actually correlated with their concussion history. So those that had more previous concussions actually showed more changes on the MRI scans. We're talking with Dr. Catherine Manning, and we're talking about results from a study that became known about a couple of years ago that has actually been going on for five years in which 52 female athletes from the women's varsity rugby team at Western basically volunteered and were monitored throughout a five-year period, and there were 21 concussions suffered, and now we've got results based on what the researchers have seen. Uh, Dr. Manning, when we talk about changes to the brain, I think a lot of people get a little uneasy thinking, no, I, I would rather not have any changes to my brain whatsoever. What sorts of changes are you referring to? Sure. So uh, some of the acute changes that we saw uh, within three days after concussion probably are just neuroinflammatory responses uh, that tend to recover quite quickly. Um, We did investigate the white matter tract. So these are the wires that connect different areas of the brain. And in those tracts, we did find evidence of uh, disruption uh, that could indicate that those areas are no longer communicating the way they used to. Uh, So this is a little troubling, especially because it correlated with a concussion history. Uh, And really, uh, the, the big finding here is that more and more concussions um, are a bad thing. So trying to avoid multiple concussions is so important. So when you say not responding or not connecting, not communicating anymore, is that a permanent thing? Well, these athletes are very young and healthy, and they have no clinical symptoms. And the reason that uh, they don't have these symptoms is that the brain is able to compensate and work around these areas of damage. Uh, Now, the question remains how long they are able to accommodate for this underlying damage. Okay, and does that require more study then? Absolutely. So we uh, we definitely want to continue following up and using um, 
additional measures to try and uncover exactly what these changes mean in the long term and if they are uh, indicative of long-term changes uh, down the line. We're talking right now about concussions, and we are talking about a study that was done involving athletes from Western female rugby players, and we're discussing it with Dr. Catherine Manning, one of the authors of this study. So when you take the results and now look to move forward, you mentioned one concussion, that can create some issues. Multiple concussions, though, uh, you you hit on that being a, a key to this. What would you tell people who are involved in sports, who have children involved in sports, in which they may suffer a concussion? Well, we want athletes to continue playing these sports that are so important for so many different reasons. But I think we do need to stress that there is no rush to get back into play after you have had a concussion. Allow enough time uh, for your brain to have a chance to breathe and heal. Um, And if you have had multiple concussions, then that's time to start thinking about being a little more careful with your brain. Is there more to come from this study, or will it take an additional study somewhere down the line? Well, we did have some interesting findings that came out of this uh, study looking at the healthy players that actually didn't experience a concussion. We know that these rugby athletes experience a lot of subclinical impacts, and these also may have an effect on the brain, even if it doesn't reach the level of a concussion injury. So we're actually looking into those changes to, to try and understand those. Uh, and that paper should be coming out uh, in the next year. We'll look forward to it. Dr. Manning, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Mike. Dr. Catherine Manning, lead author of a study on concussions in female rugby players involving 52 players at Western University. They tracked them over five years. And that last element is one that if you talk with leading doctors like Dr. Manning is in the field of researching concussions, that's a big question that they will ask. What is worse, being hit really hard twice and suffering a concussion or getting 1,500 little blows? And they look at it in football for offensive linemen where you get bang, 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 bang. It's not the big open field hit. And football's done a very good job changing itself. Have you watched an NFL game recently? It's different. And they are taking away the hits with helmets. Now, they haven't released any kind of concussion data from the National Football League, but maybe, just maybe, we see an improvement in terms of concussion. But it's not the only way you can get a concussion. You can get a concussion slipping on the sidewalk. You can get a concussion you know, playing some kind of recreational sport, going out for a run and tripping, falling down the stairs. There are so many different ways you can get a concussion. But again, what is worse? Is it a big blow? Is it little blows that happen over time if you're heading a ball in soccer? I mean, that's been a big question. So the data continues to come in. You have researchers who continue to look at it. But this is not, hey, I broke my arm. Okay, don't worry. Four to six weeks for you. This is a completely different area and we're only at the very tip of it still coming up next we're going to talk about an opportunity for some youngsters in this area it's a pretty amazing opportunity and they're willing to work in order to raise some money 
to have this opportunity. We'll tell you the entire story. It deals with the 862 Lambeth Lightning Air Cadet Squadron and where they're going to be in the very near future. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Earlier this hour, we were talking about the experiences in education and looking at the fact that it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic anymore. If you want to train people and have them entering the workforce, being ready for certain jobs, you need more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. You need to give them different experiences. You need to encourage them to be more well-rounded. And we see cuts at the education level, that are taking that away. So sometimes you have activities that can certainly help to make somebody more well-rounded. You can get an opportunity to go somewhere, learn things, and it's life-changing. Well, that's kind of what's happening right now with the 862 Lambeth Lightning Air Cadet Squadron. And joining us right now is Captain Susan Greystone. Captain Greystone, great to have you with us. Captain Greystone, can you hear us okay? Let me try again. Hmm? We'll see if we can get Captain Greystone and talk a little bit about what they are going to be doing. So right now we have an opportunity to let you know that coming up later on in the week on London Live, we are going to be talking about a brand new board game. Think about it over the winter holidays. What exactly are you looking to do? Uh, find stuff to keep you busy, right? Because a lot of times if you celebrate Christmas, after you finish opening the gifts and having the breakfast on Christmas Day, there's not a lot going on. It's kind of a quiet day. And the odds of being able to go tobogganing, they're on the low side, it looks like, right now given what the weather is. Bowler Mountain's open, so you could make use of that. But, yeah, a little bit on the low side for the toboggan weather. Board games, yeah, that could have it. And we'll talk about one before the end of the week that may keep you occupied for, who knows, could be hours. Right now, let's see if we can hook up with Captain Greystone. Captain Greystone, how are you? Hello. Hey, there you are. Yes, sorry about that. I got disconnected somehow. No problem at all. Well, you're reconnected now. Talk to us a little bit about what your Air Cadet Squadron is going to be doing and then what they want to use any of the money they can raise that way to do. Okay, so we have the opportunity of uh, going over to England uh, March 8th to the 17th. Um, we have a sister squadron in uh, Lambeth, London, England, and of course we parade out of Lambeth, London, Ontario. Um, so I, I was able to reconnect with the, the CEO and the DCO of our sister squadron over there, and we started making plans to do a joint uh, parade activities um, in the March break of 2019. So we've been planning for about 18 months to two years now. Uh, working on how we can go and get this done. And with one of the local travel agencies, uh, we've been able to set up a 10-day um, incredible opportunity for uh, the cadets of our unit to go. Uh, so 22 out of 47 cadets um, have been um, working very hard at uh, raising money and saving money and 
doing community services wherever they could to uh, participate in this really unique opportunity. And you may see Vimy Ridge when you go over there. I mean, we're talking about amazing things. Yeah, we are. So, like, I can give you a brief overcap of what we're doing. So we start our tour off. uh, We leave London on uh, the 8th. We arrive uh, in England on the 9th, and our tour starts as soon as we hit the ground. Like, there is no rest. So it is a it is a jam packed uh, tour for ten days. Fantastic! Now you are going to be at White Oaks Mall volunteering to wrap Christmas presents. When are you going to be there so that people can come by and and you can have another little fundraiser that maybe puts you over the top? Oh, I, ideally that would be great. So we've actually been doing it from December eighth. White Oaks Mall has been amazing with uh, supporting us and giving us the opportunity to use one of their locations, their store location. So we're located at right next to the Royal Bank on the Wellington entrance. Um, they've given us uh, an empty store that they've helped us to uh, kind of spruce up and advertise for our trip. So we're doing all the, the gift wrapping for the mall. Fantastic. Um, yeah, it's been wonderful. So we've been doing that from December 8th. We'll do it all the way up until uh, Christmas Eve, including Christmas Eve, up until 5 o'clock that night. All right. Um, we're there from 10 o'clock in the morning until the mall closes at night. Wow. So, I mean, that's dedication. Well, we will, a guy like me needs to come and see everybody like you. Captain Greystone, right across from the Royal Bank in White Oaks Mall. We well, really right appreciate the Royal Bank. Sorry? It's beside the Royal Beside Bank. the Royal. Okay, right beside the Royal Bank right. in White Oaks Mall. We wish you all the best. Captain Greystone, thank you so much for letting us know about this. No, thank you for uh, helping us make it known. Uh, we really appreciate it. Honestly, we do. Okay. You have a great time. You do. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay. Bye-bye. That is Captain Bye-bye. Susan Greystone with the 862 Lambeth Lightning Air Cadet Squadron. We're out of time on London Live. It's brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.